I don't know what I'll end up using at the beginning. Maybe I might cut out your ridiculous, would you eat man-made sausage? <laughs> Malarkey. <laughs> User error 76. I'm Joe. I'm Alan. And I'm Dan. And we're back and we've got some hashtag ask error questions for you. And remember, you can ask them on Twitter or in the Jupiter Broadcasting Telegram group. Just use the hashtag ask error. So the first one, what was the first computer you ever used? Mm. Is this owned or touched or were near or what? Mm, That's a good question. Used was the question. So I think had a proper hands on with. Uh, well, it's largely irrelevant anyway, because they're all the same for me. <laughs> um, or I, the first computer I, I think, I don't remember anything before the first computer I ever owned, which was a Sinclair ZX81 on Christmas Day, 1981. And, uh, it was amazing. I, I have a feeling I must have seen a computer at some point because I don't know how my parents would have known that I wanted a computer, but I got it for Christmas and my dad sat up um for hours before I got up and he plugged set it all up and plugged it into the TV because he knew that if you turn it on, there's nothing on it. So he sat there and typed in some game out of a magazine or something so that I'd have something to play with when I got in. Um Yeah, so Sinclair ZX81, one kilobyte of memory. So uh, when I was a kid, uh, I had an uncle that was into computers. And, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you don't know what words mean or whatever, you just, like, give people nicknames, I guess. And so he was Uncle Dude. And uh, <laughs> so Dude had this computer, and uh, <laughs> and I, I don't remember what it was, but I remember the big, you know, five-inch floppy disks and that stuff. And there was the green screen and everything. And he showed me how to, like – load a a game or something off the floppy disk and that and I, I yeah that's all I can remember of that I think the remembering having my first computer though um it was still like a black and white screen and um I remember that I had like a book that was probably printed in I don't know like the early 80s or something and it was like a how to write in basic programming language book but it was like for kids and it had like, you know, some guy with an afro on it or something or whatever, and he would be like, write this block and then hit the, you know, go to line and all this kind of jazz. So that was <laughs> that was the first computer that I remember owning. I don't remember what it was because I was too young, but it was, you know, old and black and white and that kind of jazz. I do remember getting books out of the library and typing in listings because I, like, you couldn't buy many games for the ZX81. And I used to go to the library and pore over these books and just read, try and read the listing and imagine what the game would be like and then think, yes, that's the book I'll borrow. And I took that book home and then I'd type in the listing and I'd make loads of mistakes and eventually I'd get it working. And then I was, you know, super underwhelmed by these, uh, <laughs> these games that I typed in. I thought I was typing in these amazing, but they're only like a hundred lines or something and just turned out to be garbage, but it was fun. It was good fun. Right, I'm going to have to rely on your historical knowledge here to help me out. I think that my brother had a ZX Spectrum and an Atari 2600. Um, and so technically one of those would have been my first computer. What do you think he's likely to have had first? Uh, the 2600, definitely. That predates the Spectrum by some margin. Right, okay. I think he had that anyway. I'm not sure about that. But I didn't really use either of those. The first one that I properly used, he had a, an Amstrad CPC 6128. Oh, 
luxury. With uh, the floppy disk and a color screen. Well, a color screen. Oh, man. He must have been loaded. That was like the the pinnacle of Amstrad computers at the time. Balling out. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember learning basic on it and uh, learning to do uh, the border and then the main color, different colors, and drawing lines and stuff like that. But then, unfortunately, I never stuck with the coding. Otherwise, I could be late now. <laughs> I had the... the 464 with a tape deck and a green screen eventually but i i used to carry it around to my mate keith's house and we'd sit in his bedroom and he'd he had his amstrad and i had mine and we'd load a cassette on one while we were playing on the other one because cassettes took so long to load they're like 10 minutes to load (laughs) and so you'd have to like wait You, you you really needed to commit to wanting to play a game because, you know, you were going to soak up 10 minutes of your day just loading the thing. And so, yeah, we would sometimes go to the shop, leaving it loading, and then come back and find, you know, cassette loading error or something. Be like, no! (laughs) But that original Amstrad itself wasn't very big. The screen was huge. Do you know how much of it was in the screen and how much of it was in the keyboard bit? The screen was the power supply, and the, the computer itself, all the guts of the computer were in... The computer itself. Yeah, they're just basically the keyboard, which it's it's little bigger than a keyboard that you'd have now. So that's quite impressive, really. Well, there wasn't a lot in there. There was like half a dozen chips and a bit of glue logic and a tape deck. Or uh, yeah, it, I mean, it was fairly spaced out. It's quite nicely designed. If you ever open one up, I've got a few of them, and if you open them up, they're quite nice. They're, they're quite well designed. I, I really like the, those old Amstrads. As you can tell by the fact that I still own three of them. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to have to have a look in your loft. It sounds like you've got a lot of treasures up there. It is a bit of a trove, yes. The thing, I have this nostalgia about the old computers, but obviously they're, they're not that much fun anymore. And I, I've loaded up stuff and the kids have looked at it. And Sam once said when I was loading something on one of these old computers, he went, wow, is that the computer you had when you were a kid? And I said, yeah, he went, oh, I feel sorry for you, son. <laughs> I was like, thanks, Sam. <laughs> the thing is, you could emulate them on a Raspberry Pi Zero, probably. Oh, yeah. anything You can emulate anything up to about the generation of a, a PlayStation on, on a Raspberry Pi. And so all of anything from like the late 80s backwards you can you could just play all of them on a single raspberry pi with an sd card and you know plug a little keyboard in and you're done um but it's not it's not the same it's it's just that awful keyboard that you got on the zx81 that was like a membrane that you had to really like push it through the desk for it to register properly and the horrible dead skin of the sinclair spectrum keyboard it's, there's something about them that's that's delightful that you can't recreate with just a, a Raspberry Pi and a normal PC keyboard. It just doesn't work. One time I had a folding waterproof keyboard that was very much like a ZX Spectrum, and they were only about five quid, so you could get a really shit keyboard if you wanted to have that original experience. There was someone who made a Bluetooth Spectrum keyboard. You can actually buy one. It looks It's the same shape and size as a Spectrum but it's a Bluetooth keyboard. And so you could use an emulator on a PC and connect this Bluetooth keyboard and have the genuine experience of pressing on this rubbish little keyboard. I guess that's kind of an interesting thought too, is like, what's the first like 
accessory or like card or something that you remember getting for your computer, like an upgrade thing, oh. like oh, I got this thing and now my computer is even better. I'm sorry, accessory. <laughs> Do you mean accessory? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I I was going to leave that. I, I would have left that, Dan. Just so you know. I I, I mean, I I heard it. I was going to leave it. <laughs> I'm not letting that go. So what was your first accessory then, Dan? <laughs> I don't know why, but I just had this memory pop up of like getting a sound blaster sound card mm. and being so excited about like, yeah, the sound quality or something. Like, I don't remember, like, I have no idea what what even would be the difference now, right? But for some reason, I just remember being like, yeah, I got the sound blaster. Yeah, most of the... Uh, accessories I got for my early computers, they weren't all they were cracked up to be. <laughs> the, the, f- the first thing I got was a memory module thing that you plug in the back because one kilobyte of RAM is not enough for anyone. <laughs> and, and so I, I upgraded it to 16 kilobytes of RAM, which, you know, you could do something sensible with it. And that was, that was a good accessory. I mean, it actually made the computer better and made the computer usable. But when I got the Spectrum, I I went a bit nuts and I bought too many things. I mean, you needed to buy an external joystick interface, which is reasonable because it didn't have a joystick port. But I then bought things. There's this thing called a Spec Drum, and it's like an it's got sound samples of like drum kits and stuff. And there was no chance. I'm not a musical person. There's no chance I was ever going to make music with it. But I would just play all the demo music. And there was like two rubbish games that came with it. That was a waste of money. And then there was one called the Kura Speech, where you could type things in. And it sounded like Mycroft, um, <laughs> like <laughs> an, a robotic voice. And you could make it say anything you want. You just like do star say, and then you could make it say rude words or whatever you want. And the sound would just come out the TV. And I always remember when you press, I can't remember if it was question mark or exclamation mark, it would make this weird noise. It didn't have a word for, I think exclamation mark, it did say, exclamation but one, <laughs> one one of the other keys i can't remember what it which key i think it was question mark but it would just go gling, gling. <laughs> like every time you press it <laughs> it would just go gling, gling. and then if you just held it down you could just make it sit there going gling, 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 constantly <laughs> it was so stupid oh. i remember getting an external floppy drive and adding that to my amiga 500 plus and suddenly you didn't have to swap discs all the time. Oh, wow. It was amazing. That's revolutionary, that is. Yeah. Three and a half inch drives. It was something about three and a half inch drives because my first PC, like many years later, I had a five and a quarter inch drive and I saved up some money and I had to buy an interface card and an external floppy drive. And it was like, wow, I can store 720 kilobytes on one of these things. <laughs> these bad boys. I'm never going to fill this up. Two days later, well, fill that up. <laughs> Do you believe in ghosts? Is that scoffing our hair, Alan? No, I just suddenly thought you were going to break into, um, what's her name? Do you believe in... <laughs> Do you believe in ghosts? Yes. <laughs> I don't know why. Sorry. Uh, I don't believe they f- physically exist, but then you, most people probably don't believe they physically exist. They're, for someone who believes in ghosts, believes properly in what you would think a ghost is, like the apparition or whatever, they probably believe they've seen it. But 
I don't believe they've seen it. I believe their brain has probably made them think they've seen it. I've certainly woken up in the middle of the night and seen something on the other side of the room and thought, oh, holy crap, that's a, you know, that's a person or something. And it's just the way the coat is hanging or something. Are you sure, though? Are you sure it wasn't a ghost? Yes, because you turn the light on and you go, oh, it's the coat. And then you turn the light off and you can still see it because, yeah, but now you know what it is. It's just your brain is an excellent pattern matching system inside your head. You're carrying it around with you all the time and it's constantly looking out for patterns. And the human face is a pattern we look at all the time. And so. I Yeah, I believe they exist in the heads of the people who see them, but nothing more than that. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree. I I kind of feel like that there's probably some realm of possibility that like higher dimensional beings exist and maybe somebody encountered one at one time. But the much more likely explanation is that brains are stupid and fill in all kinds of information and make really stupid decisions about what they think should be happening. Well, yeah, that was my devil's advocate position. Clearly, they're not the ghosts of dead people. You know, it's not the souls of dead people living on or whatever. But it is conceivable, although quite unlikely, that it is some sort of dimensional anomaly or something like that that (laughs) some people have seen. Why is it? Why is that plausible in any way? Why is it not just, like, people can't explain something, so they use whatever their brain can come up with to explain it? Well, yeah, that's the most likely But if you really open your mind, what I'm saying is it is conceivable that there is enough about the universe that we don't understand that we could potentially understand that could explain some strange things that people have seen. Like that movie, The Astronaut in the Bookcase, you know, stuff like that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I guess if if you think about it from like a historical perspective, right, and like all the reasons that we've come up with the mythology that we have, it's it's all been scientific phenomena, right? It hasn't been things that completely didn't happen, but things that we didn't know why they happened. So I guess that's an argument of like, maybe these things are happening and we just don't know why. If you go and buy a book on ghosts, what will it predominantly have in it? black and white photos from the past, right? Loads of old photos that are either two exposures on one plate or light leaking into the the camera equipment. Or, you know, there's, there's a plethora of reasons why what looks like an apparition or a ghost or a face or whatever it might be on the photograph on the plate, why that happened, right? Now, there are how many billions of people on the planet and a large proportion of them have a camera in their pocket and nobody takes photos of ghosts. And if they do, it's probably the camera app crashing or light bleeding in through the side of the lens or someone using Photoshop. It's, I feel the same way as UFOs. Like if they were there and they were real, we would have quite a lot more photos. Now there are way more cameras on the planet. I think you need to do a bit more digging on the internet, Alan. There's plenty of photos of ghosts and UFOs. Maybe the beings don't interact with photons and maybe that's just your brain filling in for some other sensory information and that you didn't actually see it with your eyes. What now? Checkmate, atheist. (laughs) Would you eat clean meat? And clean meat in this case means lab-grown meat, essentially. Yeah, uh, so... I've done the uh, Beyond Burger, and I don't think I've tried the Impossible Burger yet, but these are obviously like plant-based, right? So this isn't like 
meat proteins or anything, right? But I, I would totally try like the lab grown, like muscle tissue, whatever meat too. I think it's important to develop these technologies because it's super unsustainable to eat meat on the scale that we do. And, and like we're going to need to figure out a solution to continue to eat meat because we're not going to stop doing it, but also not like kill ourselves and destroy the whole planet and everything doing it, you know? It does kind of feel a bit weird, but then, I don't know, having researched it a little bit, it feels to me that it's probably less weird than eating a corpse, really, when you think about it. Uh, what? Yeah, what now? Like a human corpse? <laughs> no, obviously not a human corpse. An, an animal, a pig corpse or a cow corpse. Everybody calls animals corpses. Well, I know. And that's why we're okay with eating meat. Yeah, get out of here with this pita crap. Yeah. No, but that's what it is. Like in German, for example, right? They don't call it pork. They call it uh, Schweinfleisch, which means pig flesh, which is literally what it is. They're a lot more literal about these things. And, you know, we, we kind of hide behind these, you know, these nicely packaged meats that have nice names. But you're eating... A, dead thing at the end of the day right and you know like you are literally eating a corpse a delicious corpse but a corpse <laughs> nonetheless yes meat is murder tasty tasty murder exactly yeah so what about stuff that's not meat but that also isn't animals right like what about substitute dairy products i mean the most obvious ones are like soy and almond milk and stuff like that do you guys drink any of those or do you strictly cow milk I think we've, we had soy for some reason. I can't remember why some years ago. Um, for some dietary reason, but I've never, it's not something I would regularly buy. The same with almond milk. I, I, I don't know. It's just force of habit, really. If I started buying almond milk instead, I'd probably get used to it. Wasn't there some controversy about whether they could call it milk and then they couldn't or something? I can't remember, but I have no objection to it. I don't like dairy for some reason. I don't know if I'm lactose intolerant or what, but um, I've never liked any dairy products, so I probably ought to have substitutes, but I'm just not in the habit of having any milk. But if I was making, I don't know, a curry or something, then I'd put coconut milk in or... Yeah, but you would anyway. Nobody puts normal milk in a curry. You put coconut milk in. Well, maybe cereal. Uh, I sometimes have a little bit of milk in that. So maybe I ought to try some Weetabix with soy milk or something. That might be quite nice. So your original question was, would you eat clean meat? I, it depends what you define as clean and how it's made and what, yeah, what, what it's actually made of. Like, did they have to derive the cells that made it from, you know, the embryos of baby cows or something or, you know, in order to derive this lab grown stuff or did it come out of, you know, a bag of protein and a bag of, sodium and a bag of something else put together and mixed in a thing and out, out pops something that looks a bit like meat. Well, what difference does it make? Well, uh, because the derivation show uh, coming from um, an animal shows that it's not really clean. Well, I think the reason they call it clean is that it's not all covered in shit and whatnot, like real meat is. It's very hard to produce meat the way we do now, hygienically, because you know, they're animals and they shit and whatnot and get ill and whatever. I think that's what the clean in clean meat refers to. Oh, I thought it was, you know, clean as in not not derivation of an animal. No, I think that it's using animal cells to, to make it. 
I always thought it was more about the ecological impact, like clean energy, right? Because farming takes a ton of water and we have to grow all these crops and um, there's pesticides and all these kinds of things involved in meat production, right? So that's what I thought they meant by clean meat was uh, like they have plant-based meats and stuff now that where they don't incur all this other like environmental impact. I guess it's a step in the right direction, like not not having that much impact on the planet and not using all those resources in order to make a cow so that you can cut it all up and I can have a burger, right? But I still would feel, I mean, it's it's like a step towards veganism. Like, you know, you could be a vegetarian, but it's not quite there. And this feels like it's not quite there. And I, I'm not sure it's, you know, it's, it's good. It's it's a step in the right direction, but I'm not sure it's it's fully there. But would you eat it? Would you eat a burger made of it that was grown in a lab? Yeah, probably to try it out. I don't know if I'd change my entire my entire diet based on that. Well, if they made it cheaper than normal beef and it tasted the same, cost is definitely a factor. Yeah, sure. But you know, if it's um, have you ever seen the film Snowpiercer? No, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. So watch the film Snowpiercer. I won't spoil it, but yeah, it, you know, if you if you get given some food that you know seems very delightful and is all right on and everything, but actually turns out is made in a pretty disgusting way, then or the derivation is pretty disgusting, then yeah, maybe it's not that good after all. If you saw an abattoir, you wouldn't think that was anything other than disgusting. I mean, I don't want to come across as like this Peter vegan guy or whatever. I love to eat meat every day, but I'm just, I don't labor under the illusion that it's anything other than barbaric, cruel, and quite frankly, disgusting. Well, neither do I, but I still eat it, and so do you. Well, yeah. It's not, I'm not, I'm just saying, if the ultimate goal is we want to be not dependent upon killing other animals in order to sustain us, then we should go the whole way. I don't know, though. I like at home, like we eat meat, but we take steps to reduce our dependence on animal products. So we exclusively drink soy milk and we have vegan butter and there's a couple of vegan cheeses that we use for like sandwiches and things like that. And like, yeah, it's not as big of an impact as it would be if we didn't eat meat altogether, but it's more of an impact than not doing anything differently at all. Well, I have vegan butter as well, but that's not out of anything other than just choice. But Well, margarine that um, doesn't have any dairy in it just because I prefer it. Yeah, and we use it for, like, baking and cooking. And, you know, when I'm doing, like, eggs, you know, I use the vegan butter. And obviously eggs are an animal product, but that's one less animal product that goes into what we're making or like I made cookies the other day and used the vegan butter. So, um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's a step in the right direction and, and it's not like if I could be totally vegan and be happy, then I think that would be the more ethical thing to do. But I know that I like animal products. And, and so I feel like where I can make some changes, I want to, to be a more ethical person, but I am not so good a person that I'm going to like stop eating meat. I just, I like meat. Ignore, mute, or block. So we're talking about social media. When people piss you off, do you just ignore them? Do you mute them? Which basically means you don't get to see what they've said, but they don't know it. Or do you block them? Which means that they know that you're not interested. I guess it depends on what you're 
relationship or rela- relation in general to them is, right? Like, if it's a family member, I feel like if you blocked them, then it could be, like, not advantageous for you. But you could totally mute people. Like, when I used Facebook, I would unfollow, like, basically everyone because you're obligated to be friends with, you know, aunt whatever. But I don't have to listen to anything she says, right? And she doesn't have to know. Yeah, I've made the mistake of blocking a few people who maybe I should have just muted because it 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 let them know, you know, that I blocked them. And obviously that furthers maybe their irritation. Maybe they're irritated with me already, which is why they say things to me that I don't want to see. So I block them and that made it worse. So yeah, I think I've, I used to block a few people. <clears throat> I don't block many people, but I've blocked a few. Um, I certainly unfollowed you, uh, Joe, uh, this month with all your stupid spoopy bullshit. Um, <laughs> and that's, I made a mistake on Twitter of pressing, um, I think I removed you from a list, but I clicked the button twice by accident and it re-added you to the list and you DM'd me immediately and asked me, what is this list you've put me on? And I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I let him, I let him know. I was trying to quietly unfollow you for the entire month of October. So I didn't have to see any of your stupid skulls and, and spoopy shit. So, so are you saying that you, don't like to see Halloween memes throughout October, and people should definitely not send them to at Popey on Twitter. I will make judicious use of the mute and block features of social media <laughs> if that starts happening. Thank you, Joe. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So I, I think I should use mute a bit more often. Um, I mean, obviously, I could just ignore and like close the app and just not look at that shit. But some people get quite aggressive at needling people and some people will revert to just emailing you like your hate mail over the last few weeks um the person in question isn't on social media so they decided to take to email and send me shitty emails instead so it doesn't actually matter how you do it they're gonna find a way to get under your skin anyway yeah but with email well okay with gmail at least you can block people and mute people I blocked someone on Gmail one time and I got an email that said at the top, like, this person is blocked and still contained their whole fucking email. (laughs) (laughs) What is the point of that? It just, just like a little banner. Hey, by the way, we blocked this person. Like, did (laughs) you? Because still got the notification. I don't know where I stand on this because if you just mute them, then you don't get to see what they say, but everyone who follows you does. And so they could be talking shit about you or whatever. And then all your other followers could see it, whereas you're just blissfully ignorant. So that's why I just tend to go for block. I, I tend to go for either ignore or block, I think. I think mute is a bit cowardly, generally. Um, you know, it just let people know that they're blocked and they can just go and fuck themselves. What about the next level beyond that? You haven't, you've mentioned ignore, mute and block. You haven't mentioned report. Do you ever report people? Occasionally. I reported leave.eu yesterday. <laughs> so I I reported someone and they got removed from Twitter, which was good, but then they came back under a different account. So it's like, well, good as it do. Yeah, I, I definitely report people if they're being like racist or like outright abusive or, you know, just like gross. If it's like where it's like you're not just annoying, you're gross, like then I'll report you. Yeah, I think you have to do something pretty bad like, you know, blatant racism and stuff like leave.eu did. 
for for me to report you. Otherwise, you just get blocked. And you know, if you say things I disagree with, I just block you and just move on, and just create this nice little bubble for myself. <laughs> Should we refuse to take money from anyone we may object to? So sponsorships, you know, free stuff, free trips, free dinners, whatever. Employment? Yeah, employment, I suppose, yeah. That's tricky. I Over the years, I've tried to only work for organizations that I thought, you know, had a moral compass pointing in the right direction. And... Um, like pointing in the roughly same direction as me. So right direction, like same direction. And on one occasion, I got um, asked if I wanted to do some work for a tobacco company. And I was like, nope, definitely not. Uh, definitely not going to work for that company. Oh, no, no, no. And I felt okay about turning that work down and not taking money from from that company. But then a few years later, I get offered a role at a very well, one of the two largest companies on the planet who a lot of people really don't like because they they're so big that you know some part of the company or some part of the company that they own they've done something that's annoyed someone whether it's like on the scale of like Nestle or Coca-Cola you know if you look in some developing nations where they've tapped the water source or done something objectionable yeah sold baby formula that is lacking in certain nutrients and it's killed a bunch of babies and stuff yeah and at that time it was really difficult because I didn't have a job and I really needed a job and there was no, and I'd been out of work for a little while and I really needed a role and I took the job because I needed it. And so everyone has their price. And when, when it comes to needing something, if someone is willing to offer it to you, you know, it's not like I go running and bite their arm off, but in some cases, yeah, I've had to compromise and on what I would say is my morals in order to, put food on the table so I, I don't think it can be as clear-cut as i mean for some people it probably can be um but for me it's i've tried but it's difficult it's sometimes difficult so with regards to like sponsorships and things like that i think i think it's there's sponsorships and there's customers right and i think like things are different right like are you going to stop customers from buying your product because you don't agree with their political views like that requires you to like vet them right or like donors or patrons or subscribers or whatever you know platform that you're using to monetize like do you go and vet every single one of those people and if one of those people happens to be someone that's highly visible somewhere that you don't agree with like do you now have to set up a screening system to make sure that nobody's sending you money that you didn't even know about? That seems totally unreasonable to me. But something where it's more of an endorsement, like you're putting a logo up somewhere that's kind of saying like a partnership almost or or something like that, I think I think those should be vetted. I don't think that it's good to say like, oh, hey, you know, we're – uh, funded by, you know, whatever, some organization that did some horrible, terrible thing, right? Like, that's not really good for your brand. Well, yeah, I wouldn't have my independent podcast sponsored by someone like Nestle or whatever, even if they were interested. But then if Nestle, and well, the thing is, I'm doing all right now, work-wise, so it's easy for me to say this. Um, but, you know, say, I, you know, before I got this job or whatever, I would 
have definitely said yes to producing a Nestle podcast if I didn't have to be publicly on it, if I was just editing it and producing it or whatever, then I would have said, yeah, no problem. I would have taken money from them, but I wouldn't take money publicly. You know, I wouldn't admit it publicly, I suppose, or endorse them. And I think it does boil down to everyone having their price. And if you're looking for work, I mean, I, I wouldn't do that podcast now because I don't need to, and I'm too busy anyway, but it really depends on your situation. And I think that it's it's easy to say when you're in the ivory tower of employment that you wouldn't do it. But I think if the shit hit the fan, you probably would. Most people would, at least. I think some people are willing to go further for their morals and for to expect everyone else to have their moral compass pointing in the same direction. They, you know, some people would maybe go into debt, maybe move house, like maybe go into a smaller accommodation or rented accommodation or stay on someone's sofa or, you know, or give up uh, owning property entirely and live out of their car in order to ensure that when it comes to checkout time and they're standing in front of the pearly gates, they can be confident that their, you know, their soul is clean, as it were. And I don't think there are many of those people around. And I'm certainly not one of those people. And I think you're right. I think most people aren't. Most people need to put food on the table and have commitments and have a, you know, a mortgage. And they're not willing to say, Oh, well, I, you know, I can't find any work that's working for, um, anyone who's not morally bankrupt. Therefore I'll just have to take money from the state and, um, sell my house. Yeah. And so most people don't get into heaven and they end up having to haunt people as ghosts. So what if it's like a politician though, right? Like if there's a politician you really like and they they you find out they're getting campaign contributions from like BP or Exxon or something like that. Does that like all of a sudden skew your perspective of it or is it only if like they got the contributions and also they're like meeting with a spokesperson or someone? Like at what point do we care about like if someone's giving someone money? I find politics really difficult because I can't imagine anyone who is so straight down the line that they haven't taken money from someone you know there's there's very few probably a few that i could probably name on one hand who are so straight down the line that they've never taken anything from any company who doesn't have a criticism section on their wikipedia page right there's no organization there's no individual that's so holy that you can't find some skeleton in their closet probably. And so any politician would be tainted by that if you, if you use that as your measure. Well, yeah. And necessarily to become a successful politician, you have to be corrupt and whatnot, and you have to be a complete bastard. Otherwise you don't get anywhere in politics. That's why they're all the way they are. Well, I'm not sure that you don't get anywhere. I mean, you can certainly get to a certain level, um, maybe opposition, maybe a prominent position in the opposition. And if you're like, I don't know. You'd have to have a significant financial backing, I think, to get in the cabinet and be absolutely morally, you know, straight as an arrow. And I, I you know, I expect we're going to get feedback from people who are going to cite politicians from the present and past who they believe are straight as an arrow, who have made it to somewhere near the top of whatever uh, country's government that they come from. 
I'd be interested to know of them because, uh, you know, in my little blinkered world, I don't know many. It seems like it's becoming more popular for politicians to say that they're doing a grassroots campaign and they only get small donations and things like that. But, um, I mean, how do we really know that's true? Or, like, what if without their knowledge, like, some big organization, like, went and broke up things because they wanted to get such and such elected and they, you know... They're like, oh, we're going to send in a bunch of small donations from individuals, but it's actually the money of this big organization. Like, how do they know that kind of stuff isn't happening, right? Like, is there any way to really know? Right. Or even an individual who happened to be a drug dealer or happened to be, you know, made his money through blood diamonds. Or, you know, you, how far down the line do you go, like, in order to find the original root source of that donation? And I don't think anyone goes that far. If somebody in some country that like has murdered children and stuff donated, you know, a million dollars to to Canonical, would would that be something that you think they'd be like, no, you know, this is uh, objectionable, or you think they'd be like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna use that for open source software? <laughs> I honestly don't know. Thankfully, I don't have to make those decisions, and I don't get to see who donates money to us. I just see them money coming in and. You know, we use it as wisely as we can, but it's like way above my pay grade. I'd like to think that as a company, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. And I, I'm pretty sure the people who work there are, um, you know, have the same direction as, as me, bar one or two. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess it's the question is more like, is the money bad or is it only bad if you do bad things with it? So GitHub. Having a customer in ICE, for example. There you go. There's an example. Yeah, but GitHub's owned by Microsoft and they're a bunch of bastards, aren't they? So, you know, what do you expect? No, they love us, Joe. They love us. <laughs> and we love them back. 